Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and review horror on my blog, KeithRFoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanderers of Melisandre for the Axdale Aliens. All right, man, you know the deal. So we have some things to talk about, and I gave the intro, so you go first, man. What was your first thing this week? Well, I got a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, what's interesting about listening to the pod when it's like essentially two weeks back on the Monday before we record this, so two days before we record, it's it's uh, uh, two mm-hmm. episodes prior. So a couple of things that I heard. One of the things we started talking about was the X-Men run and who the writers were. So I was right. Yeah. After Claremont, it was Jim Lee. It was for Jim Lee for about two to three issues. And then Scott Lobdell came on, and he became the uh, scripter, essentially. So Jim Lee would draw the stories, and then Lobdell would uh, add script on top of that. And then, uh, oh, this isn't so much housekeeping, but something you had talked about prior was checking your emails in the morning, and something you had read, and someone had said, you know, don't do that. You know, you're... Well, just, yeah, yeah, a variant on it. Sure, go ahead. So so roughly, right? Um, It kind of dictates how your morning starts, you know, according to their schedule, etc. And I was like, shit, is is that what happens to me? Because I do check my email every morning. And I realize I actually don't do that. Because I will see certain emails come in and I go, fuck that. I'm not touching that email. <laughs> so, and, and that dawned on me this morning. Because I, I do wake up and I check my email. That's the first thing I do. And, um, you know, I check the shit that I want and the stuff that I don't, I, I'll leave till later. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. For me, because I go down that rabbit hole, it's easier for me to just push aside the email. And this morning, actually, I got back on track and I read two comics with my coffee, like I always like doing. And again, for me, there's something about how I just feel better once that's been the first two things I did. So um, so anyway, you did the housekeeping. Oh, what's your first yeah, thing? Yeah, I, I hear you. That I used to do that too when I would have to go into the office all the time. Um, I would get into the office 30 minutes early, so my first thing of the day would be drawing. So I, I would pop into the office, I'd get there early, and I would just draw for 30 minutes, and that was a great way to start my day. So uh, very similar to reading a couple of books. Um, mm-hmm. Now I just read them on the toilet, and I read comics on the toilet, and that's how I get it done. So you creators out there, if I've commented your, on your book, it's probably me on the on the can. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my first thing for the uh, for the week that I'll talk about is I finally finished the second shift eleven uh, and Drawtober Ashcan PDFs. So I finally sent those out to my Kickstarter backers, and uh, that was a huge weight off my back, off my chest. However, that saying goes, and uh, I, honestly, I should have had it done sooner. But mentally, I just wasn't there to do that style of graphic design. I had uh, the only thing that was really pending was back matter. So when we did the number count, we were at 24 pages exactly. Wait, is that right? Or 28, 28 pages exactly. And that left basically zero room. And like the comfortability of the layout was not comfortable. So it was, it was like the, the letters page was on the back, the inside back cover. And for whatever reason, that just doesn't sit right to me. I'm just like, no, that I don't like that. And I don't know why I don't mm-hmm. like that. Because if you think about it, there's a nice symmetry there. Because the inside front cover is the credits page. So mm-hmm. it would kind of have a nice symmetry for the letters page to be on the inside back cover. But for whatever reason, my brain goes, it's never been that way. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and and so uh, we added four pages. Yeah, it makes sense. I think we promised four extra pages anyway. Like, I think we went well over our goal and one of the uh, um, stretch goals there was extra pages. So I managed to do the the back matter. I you know did some graphic design work. I came up with a, a cool little layout that that uh, appeased my brain and uh, banged that out. So as soon as I finished that, I sent it over to uh, my buddy Tristan in the Accidental Aliens. He's doing the PDFs for this issue, and uh, he banged that out super quick. We I gave it a look, approved it, and he shot me over the web versions as well as the the bleed versions for the printers. So sent that out to the Kickstarter backers right away, uh, sent it to everybody's emails and inside the messages just to be safe, make sure they got it and uh, send up a update. So really happy about that. Nice. Nice, man. Good job. Yeah. And I mean, I saw the email this morning, so I was like, okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. So for me, 
This was a weird week. This was a weird week. So the first thing I did this week, it was a lot of work amounting to absolutely nothing. I will at least go inside the thought process on this. I can't, I think I've mentioned this to you offline. I feel like I have. So maybe I haven't though. Um, something I've been considering doing with Kadoja and that Mike and I have been considering doing with 215 is advertising. Mike Perkins. Um, we had this conversation many, many, um, many moons ago, right? And, um, and when you look in previews, what you will notice is that companies only seem to advertise more. Right. So a company will start out with just a listing section and then over time it feels like they take out an ad and then the next thing you know, they're taking out a couple and then the next thing you know, they're taking out even more. And what that tells me in a basic economic analysis is they're paying off. They must be um, or they're they're really getting a great sell job that's not coming through. But, you know, comic comic publishers are smart and they're not going to just nobody. Nobody is going to pour their money down a toilet. The issue is they're very expensive, man. Diamond diamond ads are expensive. And when you consider the uh, the amount of books that you hope to sell as a result of them, you really have to ask yourself how that holds up in a cost-benefit analysis. So something I'd mentioned to Mike before is that I'm really keen on taking an ad out at some point because when I'm old, I'm pretty old now, but when I'm even older and when I'm through all this stuff, I don't want to look back with any I wonder what would have happened if I'd have done this thing. You know what I mean? Like whatever happens, I want to know that I put it all out there. And an ad in the very near future is one of those things. So something I've always been thinking of is when Three Protectors is ready and or when Animals is ready, I think that's the right time for the ad. Kadoja Volume 3 was something I considered for the ad, but the problem is it's Volume 3. You know, like Kadoja in a lot of ways is pretty set. I mean, I'm happy to take on new people. And one great thing about this last Kickstarter was the amount of people who pledged a tier of all three trade paperbacks. There's still plenty of room to grow, but I think on some level, volume three of a trade may not be a great place to get like a full page ad. But that said, I still considered it. I still considered it. Mike and I talked about it, and he actually thought, no, Kadoja Volume 3 is actually a great thing to get the the ad because it's established. People know what it is. People have heard about it, even if they may not know directly. So go for it. So go for it. So I said, okay, cool. Look it up. See see what kind of ad rate Diamond can give us. So uh, Diamond gave us a, a somewhat discounted ad rate. And again, their their ads are pretty damn expensive, at least when you're when you're in the indie weeds, when you're a real indie. Um they can they can be pretty cost prohibitive. I hear back from Diamond, and and one of my things is, if you're listing volume three, listing volumes one and two makes a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. So over the course of thinking about that, it's like okay, we could advertise volume three, but we could get Diamond to relist volumes one and two. That would be pretty great because then people can do what they did with the Kickstarter. You know, go to their comic shop and say, I want all three volumes. I want the whole story. Diamond didn't want to relist volumes one and two. Getting back to this cost-benefit analysis idea, you know, I can I can sort of justify, you know, like when you consider the cost of advertising, you never want to be a pure accountant on it. You never just want to say, I'm investing this and I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong with that, actually. I'm investing this in the ad and I need to sell this many books to break even on the ad and this is what I plan. Um, maybe, maybe when you're trying to get your book in, in more people's eyes and in more people's hands and in front of more people's eyes, then, you know, you can, you can take a little bit of a quote loss on the ad. You could take an accounting loss, right? If it doesn't result in the exact amount of money, so what? You got your name out there. You never know how that's going to work down the road. But without volume one and volume two in the ad, you know, the, the equation just gets all thrown off and everything becomes justifying volume three. So at the end, it ended up kind of sticking on whether or not they were willing to relist volumes one and two in previews. And while they were willing to do a couple things, they weren't willing to list it in volumes one and two in previews. And therefore, I did not go with the ad. And and that was something Mike and I actually just talked about yesterday. So that's why it's fresh in my head. That was the big full circle thing that like did a whole lot of work. I actually had a cool thing to serve as ad copy, but it ended up going nowhere and no ad as a result. So my initial theory will hold. And hopefully when Three Protectors or Animals comes out, that's when I'll look into the ad. Would they be opposed to you listing all three codes on your ad? Like you create the graphic, it has all three codes. That way they don't have to relist it, but your your image shows all three. 
So if people do see that, they go, oh, hey, here's the codes for all three on that. Is that a possibility or is that? If I list the three diamond codes and there's no order slot for it on this month's order, you're asking a retailer to do one extra thing. And I don't, I don't want there to be one extra thing. I just want it to be in this month's order pack or this month's order code or this month's order submission where you can just quick punch it in. Like I'm sure, again, I've, I've talked about for all the, the downside that people say about previews, I think previews pull box is incredible. And it's, it's great to be a consumer and use previews pull box. You can search for anything and get it, but that's not the point. I want to make it a little bit more upfront. You- is what's happening with these ads? Do you think, or do you know, you see this ad, whoever sees this ad, and they go, hey, this is a cool ad, and they have to go back to the section where your book is listed, or they can look at the ad, visually see the code, and just punch the code in. Is, is, is that a possibility? Like, if they're looking at an ad, why would they go back into a Rolodex to look for the number when your number's on the ad? That doesn't make sense to me. Yes. So uh, if all three um... of your numbers are there, they don't have to go do shit. You, you've done all the work for them. They got, hey, here's volume one. Here's the list number. Here's volume two. Here's the list number. So they're not going back to some Rolodex. It's boom. It's right there on the ad. You, who's doing it? The fans or the retailers? So, so who's seeing the ad that is making them go, I want to buy that? Is it the retailers? Fans see the ad and retailers order the books. Something that, that I, I want to eliminate is to have as few middle steps as possible. So something that's always difficult about even advertising books through previews is generally, hey, here's my great book. Ask your local retailer for it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not what I want. I want order it right here, you know, and and what we do through 215 is we just pick a store and we let you pre-order it through them because we just want to take out as many steps as possible if you see like the book of the month on the 215 site. So, I mean, I understand it's not that many different steps. It might not be, but it's a sticking point for me. Okay. And I don't think it's that big a deal to relist the ad and just take orders that way. And maybe that's something that I'm silly about, but, you know, hit me up if you want to know the price of these ads. You know, um, again, maybe maybe for larger publishers is not a big deal. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I guess that it does boil down to a preference thing, because I've I've listened to other shows and podcasts talk about this type of thing, uh, especially with other creators. And um, some they will pimp out the code. They'll go, hey, you know, because they are indie books or, or creator owned books, and they'll go, hey, this is the code. Give your give your comic shop this code. And uh, one guy's partner was like, fuck that. He goes, look, he goes, it's their job. He goes, tell them you want this comic book. Tell them the comic book's name. It's their job to go look it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not hard. It's like, look, it, it's nice that you pick an apple up and you go put it back in the apple section if it turns out you don't want it. But sometimes you're near the, the oranges and you got to go. So, so, you know, you know, for someone to go do a little bit extra work, it's not going to kill them, but you know, it's all down to a preference thing. Like some people would never do that. They go, no, no, no. I got to go put this back with the apples. So it's all good either way, whatever you feel like doing. And again, but I think too, again, what, what history has told me is that the more distance you put between being able to order your book right there, the more likely it's going to get lost. You know what I mean? And, and maybe that's, maybe that's hashtag indie life. I don't know. You know, I, I don't think I don't think Marvel has to worry about this with War of the Bounty Hunters. You know, like I went on a I went on a 35 minute bender to just try to pre-order some copies of that because I think it's going to be big. I'm and I'm de- I'm debating on that one, too. Ever since you mentioned it, it's been in my the back of my brain. This is the Keith and Scott effect in reverse this time. I was like, ah, oh, shit, yeah. should I should I hit up my comic shop? Should I go in early? Uh, another super cool thing. I know we pimp them on here all the time, but hey, who cares? SoCal Comics, if you do have a pull list there, they let you in the store an hour earlier than everyone else. The regular Joe that just walks up and, and, and doesn't have a pull list. So that's pretty cool. Well, we're going to be comparing notes on that because I just pre-ordered every book I could through Westfield about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so eh, another another story another day. But uh, but how about how about your second thing? That was my first thing. And that ended up going on far too long. That's probably going to wrap it up for me. I'm doing a I'm doing a little Yoda doodle for uh, May the 4th today um, as we're recording this. So uh, I was doing that right before 
we hopped on. So you got a little distracted with what you were doing. And that's what I was getting a little. So when you were a little like, oh, I was running behind. I was like, it was fine with me. And and for just you, I think I might edit a lot of that combo down on the previews thing. I don't think it's that interesting. It's very interesting. No, it is very interesting. Okay. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very inside baseball, which is, you know, what our podcast is. So I, I think it's super interesting. Part of me wonders just cause it's like, we're so, I mean, I know plenty of people that won't blanch at that, but to me, man, that's a big deal. You make less than a dollar for every trade that you sell through diamond because they oh. deep discount it so hard. Oh, wow. Right. So if you think that you're making that money back on, you know, cover price, you're not even close. Cause if you list a book through diamond, then Take your price. Here's what you do. You take your price and you cut it in half. Right. That's what the retailer is paying. Mm. Then you then you take another 30% or so, and that's what you're going to get. So you're going to oh, get wow. somewhere around 30 to 35% of your cover price. It, look, if, if you're somebody that's, that's churning out a ton of copies, it's an easy decision. You know, there's a reason a lot of people do it, but... And, and for all I know, the ads do perpetuate themselves um, after a while. But for me, it's like I'd much rather take a chance on something brand new like Animals or Three Protectors that I think can galvanize people with like, you know, a new story, a new idea, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, that's that's where I, I ended up kind of. Like, that's nothing to scoff at, man. That's, uh, you know, yeah. that ain't chump change. So so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That makes a lot of sense. That's super interesting to me. Um, the The how the breakdown goes like because i know that's how it is when i sell my books to uh, local comic shops it's just like all right it's a 50 50 mm-hmm. split you know it's just like we're taking all the risk yeah. by buying your product and it never selling and it's like i totally understand yeah. that we can do 50 50 that's not a problem um and so yeah there's a couple yep. of spots where i have done that and it's like i got a 15 dollars cover price on the trade paperback and, uh, you know, yeah. seven fifty each. And, uh, you know, it's more than good with me. But when you cut that in half, it's just like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and it, and, and it boils down to how many you made and so what it cost per unit for you to make. Does it make sense to even exactly. do that? And I think that's part of the, the reason why I haven't even attempted to go into Diamond as of yet. It's like I want to have a nice little library and uh, I need it to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, then then what's the point of doing it? Uh, honestly, yeah. I do want my story in as many people's hands as possible. Like that's very important to me, but I'm not trying to take a bath here, you know, on every issue. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for me, the, the second thing I did, which was actually a lot more activity was that I finally sat down and created, uh, I I'm sure we have a ton of people who are project managers out there <laughs> because that's what I did. I created a project plan to deliver everything on the Kickstarter for Kadoja Volume 3. I I, for, I listed all of my deliverables by what they were. So for like the soundtrack, if I want it done on this date, I worked backwards. If it's done here, then that means I need to listen to Masters two weeks before. That means I need to have the tracks done two weeks before that. That means I need to have the guitars done one week before that. You just back it out. And then I put all those dates in. And then I did that with everything. I did that with the most important thing is that this volume three is coming out in both single issues and also a whole PDF. But because I don't have volume four done yet, and some of the deliverables are on other people. You know, I talked to Lance and Lance is going to handle the ordering for the Kadoja boxes and the prints that are in one of our uh, gallery edition packages. So he's going to handle that and then I'll just reimburse him for it out of, out of the Kickstarter funds. And then Will has to finish the, uh, the, the, the pencils and the inks to volume four. Um, you know, Eric has to finish the lettering. Those are other people's things, but there's a bunch of things I can do in the meantime. I can basically assemble the first three PDFs or at least, yeah, first three. And then I can also, um, create things that are going to kind of go in the trade. So my actions this last weekend, I created the trade paperback chapter separators where I just have chapter one. And then I put, you know, in this case, I'm putting a chapter separator because the artistic team changes after issues after issue three from to issue four. So I wanted to have a nice chapter separator there that reminds people who the penciler and who the inker is, even though on the first three issues, they're the same. I just think that's important for consistency. And then uh, the thing I'm going to be working on this week 
because again, I did the project plan. Now it's just a matter of executing is I'm going to think of all those extras. I do have some ideas for extras. Um, I may repurpose some of the stuff that was done in this limited ash can called Kadoja Declassified. Like I have a scene with, with one of the characters and I might turn that into a transcript. I have another thing or two I want to put in there. And people who read Kadoja know that there is some bonus material in some of these trades. You know, there's like a classified military file with like redacted stuff. There's an old newspaper article in one of them. And, and I'm going to do some similar stuff here. You know, there were some notes somewhere. So I will do that. And uh, But it was great to finally lay out that project plan because now all I have to do is just blindly look at whatever my next deliverable is, hit it, and then keep on going. And before you know it, I'll have uh, you know a book in my hands by late July, all the covers, all everything. And then I can just get that packaged out and hopefully um, hopefully beat the Kickstarter by a month. You know, right now I'm putting September as all the delivery stuff, but the date on my project plan, if it doesn't slip, is for everything to get mailed off no later than August 14th. So that would mean that people would get their books a month before the actual deliverable date I've promised in the Kickstarter. Yeah, you talking actually reminded me I did have other stuff because I did something mm. I did something very similar. Um, so the last episode I, I spoke about uh, meeting uh, virtually with my buddy Mike Mondragon and we were talking uh, action plan essentially for the hardcover. And so he had, uh, I forgot what the program's called, but essentially he breaks it down by month. He, he gets the end date and then you, you figure out when you guys meet or whatever. So it, it turned out to be a monthly thing. He's like, oh, I'm going to create a Trillo. I was like, oh, Danny Trillo. Very nice. So <laughs> so that's the program. Uh, and so, nice. right. yeah, you can drop in a bunch of stuff. You can drop in images, links, um, create all these different folders. He's very organized. So I was he was sharing his screen, so I was able to watch him do everything. Uh, very cool. So in the meantime, I've been thinking of graphic design elements that I want to do on like the chapters. And, you know, like I talked about replace, replacing the covers in between issues with chapter breaks. So I've been thinking about the art and um, uh, something that I'll be doing for the Kickstarter is I'll be drawing essentially, it's kind of like new covers, but it'll be like single pieces. And I'm going to put those up as reward tiers on the, the, the uh, hardcover Kickstarter. So those will be very interesting and hopefully they'll they'll be nice selling points. And then the last thing, it actually uh, ties into the first part, sending out the PDF. So one of my buddies, uh, Steve Whistler Jr., he he's a huge supporter. He loves the comic and he already read the PDF of Second Shift 11. And he said that he thinks the art in 11 is his favorite art to date for the Second Shift. And so to me, that was super interesting. One, I did the art in one month. It was an image a day for a month and I created the book. And uh, two, I I used more of a manga anime influence on this. It was, you know, uh, a combination of American Western comics combined with animation manga. And so he said he liked the art the best on that, which which is great news for me because that's the style I'm moving towards. The, the, the issue that I'm running into is my colorist used a different coloring style. And I agreed to do it because this was a, you know, it was like a faster project. And I was like, hey, this is kind of the perfect issue to try this new coloring style at. He wants to try a manga style uh, influence on his coloring on this issue. Makes sense. And uh, so Steve really liked it. He said he prefers this coloring over the other coloring. And he, I think it's in part, though, because of how I drew the issue. So he goes, I like the energy from from it and how like the colors work together. And uh, a lot of the elements of the coloring was actually because of the art. Like I drew crazy um, line effects, like, you know, on a kick, I, I made like energy lines flying off of it. And so my colorist mm -hmm. colored those energy lines like he normally would, but the characters themselves were more of this cell, cell shade style. Uh, and and yeah. so my struggle, however, is I like the old style better. Like, I think that's more in line with what I want to do. It has kind of an American uh, coloring style to it with the manga uh, Western bend on the art. So I was like, I actually like that coloring better. So it's just like, man, I, I need to take a survey or something on like what people like more. But at the end of the day, it's going to be my call. And um, 
you know, as of right now, I'm I'm leaning towards selling my colorists. It's like, let's just go back to the other style. So it's it it's a quandary. Yeah. In a weird way, this kind of reminds me of the off microphone conversation we had last weekend, where we were talking about an unnamed creator who got popular for a thing that was not their passion project. And I I will say that like it's a little bit of a slippery slope. You know what I mean? Like it's your book. What happens if 95% of the people come back and say they like the new style? Right. That's that's the issue. At the end of the day, you almost always listen to yourself. Almost always. And if you don't, how do you feel about that? And that is very reminiscent of this creator. So to give people off uh, you know, listening what happened off air, a creator made it uh, through a property that he kind of didn't care about. It was a bit of a goof. It took off. The thing he cared about, no one else cared about. And uh, when seeing him at a convention, go ahead and I'll let you take over on this part of the story. I saw the creator and I said, um, hey man, what do you, like, just take a look at him and what do you, what do you think? Like, what, what do you think he's thinking right now? And he was, I think he said something like, I think he's plagued by an existential, existential sadness. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I do think that sort of stuff is interesting because what happens if people come back at the thing and you're like, yeah, but I kind of like doing it this way. I mean, I yeah. think there's probably a there's a hybrid in the middle where you sort of take the note, but you also, also sort of do what you want. But, you know, that's also a theoretical away from even happening. Right. I think. But I yeah. think it is a, a el- elements of that story that that's. Because, you know, he's he's not an artist, but he has been reading comics since he was a little kid. And he said, I, look, traditionally, I like Western-style comics. I, I'm not really a big manga fan. And he goes, but for whatever reason in this book specifically, I really like the way the art and the colors go together. And I just think it's th- it, the style in which I drew the book. So, um, but there's, uh, you're right, there is probably a middle ground there. The thing with cell shading is, it's kind of like... Do you know what cell shading is? No. I mean, I think I might, but explain it. So so when you watch anime or manga, uh, there is a large cast shadow on like one side of the face, under the neck, and it's very, very obvious. It's like a clean cut line uh, between light and, and shaded. And so that's cell shading. And so if you guys read read my books, look at my books, you'll see the difference between the first nine to 10 issues compared to issue 11. Like you'll see the clear difference. So you'll know what I'm talking about if, if you don't understand that part. Or Google, Google's your friend. And um, so I think there is a nice middle ground. I think maybe my colors can use less textures uh, when we go back to the other style. And he has to because issue 10 is part two of a two-part story, you have to make them consistent. So um yeah, we'll see how that goes, and and uh, yeah, just it was just an interesting note that I got before the pod, so I wanted to talk talk about that for a little bit. I actually think that's super interesting, um, and I I have a have a couple things about it actually. So the first thing is I happen to be I happen to be holding uh, my freshly finished beer is in a King Diamond pint glass. Um, King Diamond is a famous metal artist right now. Um, or he has been for for a very long time. He was also the lead singer of a well-known influential metal band called Merciful Fate. The signature thing of King Diamond is that King Diamond has an incredible falsetto. He can go quite high. And some of his more notable songs um, it, at all stages of his life have involved him doubling and tripling his own falsetto in this this amazing thing. So um, so King Diamond's falsetto is is kind of stuff of legend in metal circles. And it took a fan at a show... He was doing an early song. So if you listen to early, early Merciful Fate, there's not a lot of King Diamond falsetto in it. There might not be any, um, maybe on the first early demo plus album or something like that. But at a show, I think somebody was like, your falsetto is really good, man. You should do that more. And he took that note and the rest is history. And this is where it gets back to the calibration point. You know, what is, you know, what is the version of, the feedback you're getting versus what you feel about yourself. And I'm going to turn that in, kind of dovetail that in to something that we talk about a lot in, we talked about it a lot in my novel writing classes and we talk about it still in the novel workshop. There are going to be times when you feel like you're actually out on an Island with the thing that you believe, you know, like there have been 
every single person in my workshop has had points where every person unanimously came back and said, I don't buy this. And you, you have this thing of like, okay, do you not buy it because it's bad and I've executed it well? Or do you not buy it because it's still a good idea, but I have not executed it well? And that's, again, that's kind of like, I suppose that's one of the existential struggles of all of us, right? Like, if I'm the only one on this island right now fighting for myself, am I a, am I an idiot, right? Like, am, does this actually suck and I'm just insane? So um, it's about finding that balance for sure. And and I, I will say that I'm super interested to see what you land on and where the future of the second shift kind of goes from there because it's going to be some kind of combination of like I like doing it the old way but it depends on how big a hit it is because you know if people like it more then they're probably telling you something too but uh yeah man I'm I'm, I'm really interested I, I don't think there's a right or wrong place to land it's just interesting yeah yeah definitely and that's something I, I was talking recently with uh, my studio mate Tristan oh Tristan Whitehouse he does a book uh, the Adventures of Tarek Zion, and we we constantly talk about doing the work, and you know, a lot of creators, a lot of indie creators, as well as uh, you know, creators that have made it, famous creators. There's uh, always imposter syndrome that runs through your brain. It's just like, am I a fraud? Is is this all bullshit? Like like, what are we doing here? Do people even care about this book? And I always make sure to tell them. I'm like, look, man. You know, it hits me, but I think it hits him harder. And um, I was like, dude, you're really good. Your art's really good. You just just keep at it. You know, just like anything, some things hit sooner and some things hit later. You know, some people can be working forever and then out of nowhere, they just take off. It's like he got it before everyone else did. You know what I mean? It's just like you never know he or she. So it's just like you can be creating something for 10 to 15 years and no one gets it. And then all of a sudden the rest of the world catches up to you and goes, hey, this is really good. Is there more of this? Well, guess what? We never stop creating. There's going to be more books. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll find the nice middle ground. Um, and, I, and I think I do know where it is. But, uh, yeah, definitely something to play with and, and, and see what happens. All right, man. So so let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. So for me, in terms of social media, uh, you can find me at Keith underscore Decibel. That is me. And then Kadoja Kaiju, one one word all connected is all things Kadoja. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. In terms of websites, you can find me at KeithRFoster.com. And that is all you need. All of your Keith Foster seats are all right there. From Kadoja to blog posts to a store, it's all there, man. I can't think of anything on the planet that is not right there for you at KeithRFoster.com. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com. Not all of my stuff is there, but my books are. Uh, you can get Second Ship, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans on AccidentalAliens.com. And you can also email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. All right, man. Till next week, brother. Next week. Enjoy your trip, dude. Thanks, man. You're, you're like you're you're gonna intro my books. Is that it? Yeah. All right. So we are we are live yet again. By my count, this is the third time mm-hmm. we've been at society. The gods of wind have been compensated, I guess, because this is the least windy day we've had. It's also the quietest day we had. So we're gonna knock on wood. We have a really nice radius of emptiness around here. We've got my kids here, so they joined us on a little bit of this. Um, and we'll let you guys just chime as you, in as you like, okay? Um, so we just went to, where'd we go? We went to Book Off? We went to Book Off first, and then we went up to Yesteryear. Yeah. Which is just down the road from SoCal Comics, which we discovered today is closed on Sundays, which is definitely new to me because my uh, art group, The Accidental Aliens, we used to come here every Sunday. And we'd uh, shoot the shit, we'd draw, we'd buy some comics, hang out with the staff. 
And uh, when you're like, hey, they're closed, uh, that was brand new news to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and I was, I'm a little bit bummed. You know, I'm a little bit bummed because SoCal Comics has such an amazing selection of dollar comics that, I mean, here, here's how highly I think of SoCal Comics in terms of the dollar. When we went to Spiro's Heroes, you know, you, you just get what's there. And there were some gaps in the collection, and I felt very confident that I was going to fill a good chunk of my gaps just by looking around in SoCal Comics because of how many comics they have in their massive, massive dollar room. But that said, we should go ahead and uh, talk about the stuff we got, right? So yeah, man. Uh, you want to go uh, with uh, you want to go with book well, off first? Well, I will go with the two books that you brought me yeah. that I did not get in my weekly poll. Uh, I forgot to put Ultra Mega Number Two onto my pull list, so they didn't pull it for me. And I grabbed one off of the rack. I got home and realized it was the second printing of number one. So by the time I went back to SoCal, it was gone. Uh, I think the next week. So it Yay, was gone. variant covers. That's right? what you get yeah. when you have a million variants. You're like, oh yeah, shit, yeah, this yeah. is new. Well, that's no, on no, me. It's, not. I, it's just a reprint of number one. I should have checked the, the number. That was my fault. I mean, there I was is just a number in, on the cover. Yeah, I was in such a, a, a hurry. Uh, and The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, which is from Boom Studios, is a number one. I like the cover art. And they were sold out of that as well. So you grabbed those two for me, so I appreciate it. And first up was Book Off. And I got a little run of this this series, Coffin Hill. It's from Vertigo. And I had the first one or two issues, and for whatever reason, I just, I kind of stopped. I liked the book. I think I didn't have a pull list at the time. And so I never continued with the series, but luckily I didn't because they had the first like 18 there good god yeah just like one or two missing yeah and uh, but i got a nice bulk of them and blackbird issues one and two. Oh, by the way i got hooked up this yeah this front to back i heard they try they try to charge you for the they didn't no they didn't no oh okay so it was yeah okay. it went so so book off at least this one in san diego they seem to be taking to double it double stacking some issues and uh, so you got Blackbird 1 and 2 inside one bag. That's clearly not done by accident. Yeah. And it's basically 50 cents each. Yeah. Which yep. is pretty great. Yeah, my total was like 932, and I had 10 books, but one was uh, on both sides of the, the bag and board. Yeah. And the last one I got from there was John Burns' Nextman, number one. So I was kind of surprised to see that there. And uh, unfortunately, I had seen a couple other issues, but I didn't grab them because they're just kind of random issues. And uh, regretted it later because there's so many books there I couldn't find the rest of them. Yep, I mean it, that makes sense though. It, when you're in a way, the book off situation is very similar to Spiro's Heroes. Right, they're just everywhere. Yeah. They want you to spend a lot of time there and they want you to dig. Mm -hmm. But as a result, if you see stuff you're sort of interested in, you kind of got two options: one, relying on your memory, which never a great idea. No, definitely not. And with me. and then uh, and then the second option is if you want to just like keep huge stacks of things that are like maybe I get this maybe I don't but that works in Spiro's Heroes with tables and things like that yeah. they have tables for it not in Book Off Book Off is jammed and you'd have to be pretty clever to kind of pull that off yeah and to your point Coffin Hill was broken up in multiple sections uh, of their single issue comics so luckily both of us were looking and I had mentioned it and so you grabbed me a couple of stacks so uh, got a nice run of that uh, do you want me to do the whole run of no, what no, I got no 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 I'll, okay. I'll go right, Book Off now because where, where we first saw this is I ended up getting, it looks like, issues 5 through 16 of the Carnage book from Marvel. And uh, I generally kind of give a crap, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't really go out of my way to, like, look in the Marvel section. Yeah. But I do like Carnage as a character. It gives me some nostalgia for, like, when I bought the first appearance of it. Do you still have that? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Dude, it, it's so stupid because yeah. who would have thought there would be a resurgence of Venom and Carnage? Like, as popular as Venom was... It was like him and Gambit fell off the edge of the earth, like as far as characters go. Yeah. And so along with Venom goes Carnage because he's a, uh, uh, what is that called? Um, he's like a archi like Car or Venom is the archetype yeah. of Carnage. Mm -hmm. What is that? He's a spinoff character essentially. So where Venom goes, Carnage went. And then so you get this resurgence. And then of course Carnage, uh, his first appearance, shoots up in value like a motherfucker. And it's just like, who would have thought that? I mean, I seem to be talking a lot about books that I used to have that I am rebuying or have no shot in hell of rebuying. I mean, at least some of them I made a couple dollars on. But, you know, you think back, it's like Carnage, first appearance of Carnage and 
you know, Mad Love, which I had 25 of, you know. I mean, I, I sold those off. Yeah, that's wild. Man. I sold those off, but they weren't anywhere near the damn price What did you sell? You, you, you said you made a nice little profit. Yeah, I forgot I, the number. Though. I don't know, like 20? You know what I mean? Like oh, that, bucks, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, but so I paid 19 like, bucks each, basically. Yeah, or 19, exactly. I paid like a buck uh, eighteen fifty. Yeah. Totally, totally. Now they're, you know, I mean, it's worth 600 or something, something like, like that. that. But, you know, worth and spend are two different things. It's probably really worth more like 300 So right. I only have to feel $280 stupid instead of $480 stupid or when, $580 stupid. Back in the day, um, I got a deal on it at SoCal, and I'm not going to say how much they gave it to I'll, I'll tell you off the air. But um, they had Deadpool's first appearance, which I didn't get back in the day when I was collecting. By the time I found out about him, uh, that book was long gone. And... It was just like way up in value, and and back in the day, I was a child, so I obviously didn't have a job. I couldn't justify spending that much on one book. Yeah, uh, whatever it was, twenty dollars, thirty dollars back in the day, mm-hmm. and uh, so I never got it. But one day at SoCal, I said, "Hey, could, do you guys ever barter?" And they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Can I draw you some rad shit, and you can like, oh, nice, you know, give me a deal on Deadpool one's first appearance or Deadpool's first appearance?" And they're all like, and Jamie was there, and uh, the owner. And it was one of their sales or something like that. And he goes, he goes, feeling gracious today? He was like, whatever. He's like, I don't know what we have back there. I'll give you a... Nice. Oh, fuck. I just said I'm not going to say it on the air. Okay, that's fine. I, uh, don't okay. worry. Okay. I'll right. do that. Yeah, yeah. good. I got you. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. I just gave it away. I got you. I don't know what they think the grading is, but to me, it looks so fucking good. I yeah. was just like, wow, I got a steal and a half. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah that's for, for, for you record nerds out there. It's like buying records from Japan. Because I, I bought a fair amount, you know, my Japanese soundtrack fixation. You know, yeah. again, I sold off most of those because, you know, but they, I sold off the ones that didn't mean anything emotionally to me. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, I kept Japanese Spider-Man. So, like, I have that on vinyl. You know, that That's kind awesome. of stuff. But, boy, Japanese grading is, like, two steps up from American grading. Like, they have something oh, they right? might call, like, a very good, and it's, like, a goddamn near mint plus here. It's ridiculous. It's like they have magnifying glasses oh on their God. specs or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, records from Japan are just generally in impeccable condition based on the ones that I have. But, anyway, so to round that out, I also got Martian Manhunter number one from however old this was, and Icon number seven because I'm, I'm, you know, reacquiring some of that milestone stuff. And the neat thing about Martian Manhunter, again, I guess I didn't tell you this, but we all, you know, we kind of made the thing like, hey, let's all watch Justice League and talk about it. And uh, so I finally watched Justice League last weekend. Oh, right on. And, and it reminded me that I'm actually a DC guy in terms of DC versus Marvel. In terms of the superheroes that really kind of, of, of stick with me, it has always been, and it probably spins back to like the Super Friends. You know, that's what I remember growing up on is the Super Friends. Yeah, man, I don't, you don't, I don't think you mentioned this to me. None of this sounds yeah. familiar, so yeah, I, I yeah. think you had not mentioned Yeah, that. so Batman, um, Batman, Firestorm, um, Green Lantern, even to some extent Superman, you know, and uh, and Martian Manhunter. I really like Martian Manhunter, so it'll be fun to check out some of those things as we go forward over time. And now that I look at the interior, I love that interior. Art yeah, the style art's as well. beautiful. Um, yeah, I was trying to look for the date, and I don't see it. By yeah. Riley Rossmo. Um, I I can't remember if I read this or someone just told me about it, but it, I heard nothing but good things. Great. Well, the then series. you know, again, hopefully I can love it and then and then dig for some more here. And uh, so then we, we finished up there, and then we went ahead and went to the second place, which was Yesteryear Comics. And uh, before we talk a little bit about Yesteryear, um, why don't we why don't we talk about who wants to talk about what you got at Yesteryear? Alyssa, you want to take one? You just you were just reading that book right there. Why don't you talk about it? Because that's one of the books you guys got at Yesteryear. Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, they had the first three of it. I was really gonna get the first three, but then I realized I was going to go over budget. I was given $10. So, <laughs> yes, yes. you were given you guys were <laughs> given a like stipend. <laughs> yeah, stipend of $10. Um, but it's pretty interesting so far. It ended on a cliffhanger, of course, so you need to get the other ones. Um, but it's kind of like um, it takes place in the future where today's time is kind of referred as like an old age and we're kind of referred as like the old ones that okay. we're supposed to be called. Okay. And so, it's kind of pre-industrial kind of era where every animal is like machines and they kind of handle the natural order of things and then humans are kind of like kind of hunting them mm-hmm. i guess interesting okay so yeah, they have like super cool like mix of tech of like tribal like mm-hmm. bow like ancient like old tech uh like bow and arrow spears but like kind of mixed with machinery that can read 
data and things like that. Okay, yeah, it looks like it's meant to be like kind of heavy, clunky-looking machinery, even though yeah. it might be intelligent. It's kind of big and clunky, right? Yeah, and the art looked good too. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I was looking over your shoulder when you're. And check this uh, out. Like, look at that. Look at that opening graphic page. Like, that's really sick. You know, is this is from this book, right? Yeah. So, so like look, look at that. Box, First of all, look yeah. at that graphic right there on the inside. That's yeah, incredible. Is, is this looking. based off a video game or anything? I have never heard of this. I don't play video game. games, so I'm yeah. not sure. It I don't play them sounds either. Familiar. This is no, incredible. I mean, you look at this this opening inside page. It's like the world of Horizon. It's got these amazing, like almost three D rendered looking graphics, and then you have two characters that kind of they kind of look like title screens off a video game. Um, yeah. And then, and then a kind of a fake Magic the Gathering looking card here about something too. So, boy, that's a really eye popping way to kind of start your comic. That's really cool looking. And so, do you like it enough to want to track down the next ones? Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. All right, cool, cool. Um, all right, you got one more there. You only you bought two, right? Who wants to talk about that one? Hold on, real quick. Horizon Zero Dawn is a two, 2017 action role playing game oh. developed by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony. Interactive Entertainment. Well, look at that. I learned something today. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that explains why they have such cool prefab graphics that they can just drop yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. They grabbed a screen cap or whatever from uh, their video games and threw it in the beginning. There. Okay. It's You're all cool. talking. So, somebody's going to talk about that book and somebody's going to talk about the store. Who wants to talk about what? I'll talk about it. All right. Ava, go ahead. So, yeah, Ava's going to talk about the other book they got. So, the next comic that we got um, was called Genlock. Um, I was pretty much attracted to the cover and the colors of it because it really reminded me about Power Rangers. Yes. I've been wanting to watch like a bunch of Power Rangers shows for some reason. Um, and then I, it reminded me of Transformers, um, Boltron and Ultraman, a bit of Ultraman in it for some reason. That's why I wanted to look into this and since this is, it says based on the hit animated series, so I wanted to look more into the comic before I started watching it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like how I treat anime, but in the opposite way. I want oh, okay. to watch the anime series before the manga, but I don't okay. know. It's different for everyone. Sure, but sure. Did you read any of it yet? Yeah, I already read, read almost all of it. Yeah, you guys, you guys were... I mean, Alyssa basically finished it while we were talking. Right. And yeah, was, but was it's like basically it. these humans that are basically turned mostly into machines, and then they're projecting themselves inside these machines as well. Okay. Oh, okay. It looks like they're, they're humanoid robotics, I think. But yeah, it's a bunch I, of mechs. Yeah, a bunch mm-hmm. of mechs. Or uh, kind of yeah. like, well, yeah, they're cyborgs in a way, I guess, right? Yeah, but they're I think uh, so. half human, half machine. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, the art looks good too. Yeah, yeah I pretty like nice. The art too. Pretty very uh, Marvel-y, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're into uh, Power Rangers, oh, it's DC. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say very Marvel and DC, and it is a DC comic actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think okay. I think after uh, Jim Lee started doing a lot of heavy lifting in DC, a yeah. lot of their stuff, it's like. There used to be a clear DC style and a clear Marvel style, and mm-hmm. now the line's a little bit more blurred. Yeah. yeah. But if you like Power Rangers, the mm. Power Ranger series is really, really good. Yeah, it's like I saw super some good. There, and then I was like, I want to see this one. They do, they do this one storyline. I won't tell you everything about mm. it. So one of the Rangers in another dimension go is evil. Oh. He either goes crazy or he's just evil. Mm. And then so he starts hunting the Rangers in other dimensions Whoa. and like tries to kill them off. Yeah, that's it, always a winner. Dude, I love that kind oh, of idea. It's like the station. one by Jet Li, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, the one. Yeah, the one with Jet Li. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, so it's really interesting. It's a really fun series. I mm. I bought a couple of issues, and I really liked it. And then like I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan. And then yeah. so there was a Power Rangers Ninja Turtles crossover, and that mm. was really good. Mm. Yeah, I actually own that because yeah. um, I think uh, Simone de Mayo, uh drew that series. Boom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's how I got oh, introduced nice. to him. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that's so now you guys have some more things to look for. So, all right. Overall impressions of the store, Eden. Why don't you talk a little bit? What did you think about yesteryear when we walked in? Is that the one we just went to? Yes, that's the one we just went to. Okay. Uh, my first impression of it was probably like it's very narrow. <laughs> yeah. Very small. Yeah, yeah. Very small space. Lots of like um, pockets of books, especially in the back and on the sides. Um, there's the usual rows against the wall and then in the center there's the uh, uh, the back issue bins yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back, back issue bins buried <laughs> under stacks of comics yeah. I, just crazy stacks of comics so I've been there maybe seven or eight times those are always there the, it is never clear I, I've gone on different days just to see if there would not be comics on top of those because I want to look through them. Yeah. I'm looking for back issues, but I yeah. can never look through them because he always has stacks of books. And then it's not like 
it's not like it's like, oh, this is all, you know, a Power Rangers. It's like, no, this is a stack of Power Rangers, and on top of that is a stack of Carnage. It's like stack Batman. on stack. Batman, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's hodgepodge. It's crazy. And it's just like, dude, I just need to pick this up because I need to get to the S's to see if you have any Savage, Savage Dragons. Totally. But, totally. Yeah. Okay, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the store? Very dark. Very <laughs> dark. <laughs> It's very cluttery. It's very yeah. cluttery. Very, so, yeah. Very hoardery. Yeah, very hoardery. Right. Yeah. And then and now you guys are knocking back some Shirley Temples, which what that boiling, boiling bottling. I expected them to actually give us a Shirley Temple, not have like a bottled Shirley Temple. So. That actually helped like, though when I, I was like carrying them. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Bottle. Yeah. 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 And Ava, your face said it was pretty good. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there, yeah, was so a, there was a video, like, <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> very animated, like, oh, this is quite good. Yeah. So, so for me. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. You didn't find anything. No, I, I caught your eye. Just looking. I was trying to look for the new Valkyrie. Valkyries. Yeah. Valkyries. Oh, okay. Do you know if they're on four yet? Because we got one through three. Where were we? No, you said that it's coming out like next week or something. Or what did you say? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll look into it. It's not, Valkyries. Yeah. Just when yeah. You, you said you were looking for the issue, and you're like, oh, but it's not out yet, or something like. I that. I said that. Oh, you said okay. I, okay. I think I'm it's like, not out because I looked through their stacks of Valkyries and it only went to three, and a store like that seems pretty stock deep. Mm-hmm. It, Valkyries is not the kind of comic where issue four would have sold out if no. one through three are yeah. in stock, unless there was like a first appearance, or exactly, something like that. exactly, or for a Fortnite crossover. Right. <laughs> and he actually had a, he actually had copies of that Fortnite crossover. Did you see it? It was in the glass case at the oh, register. How much? Oh, I didn't look. I didn't yeah. see the price. Oh, I was like, but it was, it was, dude, if that was, was cover price, we should have just gone, go back and buy them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was in the glass. More than likely, more than cover price. Because, that stupid thing sold out in like a minute. Dude, yeah. I had um, Geiger. Remember Geiger uh, from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank? Mm-hmm. That one, he was selling it for $10 the week it came out. Okay. Yeah, so I went to SoCal Comics, and they were only allowing one per customer, mm. which is fair. Yeah. It's like, yes, it has seven covers and i want at least four of the covers but okay i'll take the one yeah which is where i get it right like they do it because of speculators like they don't want one dude coming in yeah. buying all their copies, buying all their stock and then like i kind of wish though it's like dude you guys see me all the time you know i'm not i'm yeah. not flipping these things on ebay or anything yeah. it's just like i collect comics yeah you should treat it like like the catholic church where they get they give like their yearly people the better seats for easter and christmas is that what you're saying I might have to edit that one yeah, out, believe fine. it or not. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Right. I know that right, sounds right. Crazy. Yeah, so my impressions of yesteryear were um I, I was I think I was hoping that it was the kind of place where we could spend more time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like SoCal Comics, by it being closed, that took away my all of a sudden my my meager, you know, thirty dollar budget did not go as far. You know, right. thirty dollars at SoCal Comics, that's thirty six comics because you can get, you know, 12 for 10 and do all this great stuff. So uh, obviously it means that I, I changed the way that I was thinking about it. But uh, yeah, I, I actually think that the hoarder thing works against the store and not for it. That guy must be raking it in so much off new releases. He just doesn't care. That that's, that's just like, I don't give a crap money. You know what I mean? Like in terms of that store, it's kind of like, well, this is the store. You take it or leave it. Yeah. You know, um, I, he must have like a pretty decent pull list that just kind of keeps him going. Yeah. And then he just buys a bunch of stuff and throws it out. I mean, again, to, to have... To be a store owner and have no regard for your own back issue bins <laughs> right. is pretty insane. Right. You know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and most people like looking through back issues. And honestly, the way he keeps his books on the shelves, he stacks it to the point where you can't get the books in there comfortably. Like, peeve of mine. I had. No, I tried yeah. to pull it in. I was like, try to push it back. Like, yeah, because there's just so much resistance. You could even slide this much of right. it back in. Yes. Like, yeah, you're trying to protect them because, like, you know, these are comic books and they're collectibles for some people. So you try to treat them, you know, respectfully. But when you can't get them in, like, I, I've damaged some of his books just trying to put them back. And I'm like, oh, fuck. All right. Yeah. And, you know, and they'll be kind of sticking up like this. Yeah. Like, when I leave it, I'm like, yeah, it's just like, he works here. I don't work here. I know. You know? You can, yeah, you can exactly. So, uh, um, so speaking of dollar issues, while we're in there, a lot of his higher price books, they're along the top of the wall. And I saw some Star Wars books. And it reminded me of this, this store. It's called um, Now or Never. It's in downtown San Diego. And they were having a dollar sale. And I guess he had bought a bunch of collections from, from some people. And so he had massive amounts of dollar bins. And there were complete runs of shit. And he was just like, I just don't have the space for this. And he goes, so I'm passing the savings on to you guys. I know I can look all these up and see how much they're all worth. But I'd rather just 
let you guys buy them for a buck and it's not a big deal to me because I guess he made his money off of other parts of that collection so yeah. he was cool with it I grabbed uh, Dr. Afra number one mm. and a bunch of other Star Wars books uh, for a dollar there nice. and then like once you buy a certain amount it becomes even cheaper yeah. maybe 75 yeah, they, cents they kick in cents. Exactly. Yeah. so that Dr. Afra book's like a $30 book now crazy yeah because it's crazy. the first appearance of her and I guess she's a really popular character yeah. so there's talks of her potentially going she, into the movies well not and, and you know with with every universe basically looking to like plumb its own content depths more and more, something like Doctor Afra or General Thrawn becomes you know just way more Admiral Thrawn. Sorry, don't shoot me, Internet. Um, it just becomes that much more likely to get turned into something. But yeah. uh, anyway, so all right, I'm going to rip through mine pretty quick. So I, I I actually did I actually did something I I kind of hate doing, which is I bought covers of comics that I think I already own. Because they were like slightly more limited or slightly cool. Mm. And I kind of, I tried to make a, a vow to myself that I wasn't going to play like the collector game. You know, where, because the collector game to me is you, oh, I missed out on this collectible book, but I'm in the shop and I see collectible book B. So I'm going to grab collectible book B, wait for it to appreciate in value, and then sell it as a way to finance way of getting the book that I really want, you know? Because that's a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. But uh, damn it if I didn't do it. So I, I, have, I know nothing about this series crossover, but there was a cool virgin cover of crossover six without the logo. And uh, so I bought it. So I bought it. And, yeah, that's uh, actually prob- a really good book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you, I asked you about it. And then I also got that, that's Department of Truth number eight which has a really killer cover. Um, I can't remember who does it, but uh, it's very Scotty Youngish. If I, it might even be him. I don't know. Um, I, 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 sort think of, I sort of remember. I think Scotty is a Marvel exclusive. Oh. Well, you're but one. yeah, you're right. It does look very Scotty Youngish. Anyway, okay, so yeah, I got that. That's really cool. I got, uh, I got that Indie Darling Berserker number two, probably one of its 800,000 copies. Um, then, and I think this is also so. Oh, I was completely wrong. You're right. Cover art by Scotty Young. Circle gets the square. Yeah. All right. Look at you. Rock and roll. Keith's knocking it out of the park today. Uh, I wonder if he had like a. Sometimes in between their their uh, contracts, yeah, they'll do quick uh, indie work. Sure. And sure. then they'll sign He's their like, contract. Oh, my contract make... expired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. And then the final thing I got was this is pretty interesting. It's actually Master of Kung Fu 126. I guess they're renumbering from back in the so day. So that's a legacy number. Both, yeah. both Marvel and DC are doing this bullshit where it's just like, hey, we want to renumber it because we want the sales from a number one. Yeah. We, but we also want to celebrate the 500 issue or whatever. So, yeah. like, I'm confused as fuck. Really. Yeah. But yeah. what I saw was this is called Shang-Chi's Day Off Part One of One, mm-hmm. which means it's a self contained story. Oh, here, you guys can read through that if you want to. I bet you that'll be pretty cool. And that's that's me, man. Um, so that was what I ended up spending my money on there. So how about you? I I also got that Indie Darling uh, Berserker number two. Yeah. And they had a couple of different covers. They had a like a hollow foil cover mm-hmm. uh, for a dollar more. I passed on that because I lived through the 90s. And it wasn't that cool of a hollow foil either. Yeah, it like, was all right. Those of us who remember the 90s like you, there were some really kick-ass like like Shadowhawk number one was cool with like right. the eyes I think is yeah, what it yeah. had. There were all kinds of cool ways to do it. That one was just a metallic version of the exact cover. You yeah, have, that that Shadowhawk number one I think it was pretty nuts. It was like I think the eyes might have been cut out. Yeah, it had a silver foil and then the black on the cover was like matte. So it had yeah. just like three different things going on yes. on it. Uh, where this one it was just like a so the Raphael Grandpa cover has a mostly white background and that was all silver. So mm-hmm. that was the only difference. Yep. Uh, so I grabbed that, and then uh, Beta Ray Bill number two by Daniel yep. Warren Johnson. Yep. And if you guys didn't read the first issue, you guys should look for it. Uh, I imagine the second printing just came out, but uh, it's it's pretty awesome. The art's beautiful, and the action is nuts. Yes. And like, you look know at this. Just opening on the second page, you got a, a a look through, on of the ship. Yeah. Like they cut out the wall so you could see what's going and on. And I'm here. trying to think. Um, awesome. and, and what was interesting was when I got Beta Ray Bill number one. At my comic shop, I was like, it showed up in my holds when I was there. And I was like, well, I don't really remember uh, ordering this, but it looks great. So I'm going to get it. And then um, I talked to Funky, who's the guy who like seems to have the taste closest to mine at the store. And he told me that, uh, again, I'm, I'm slipping a circuit right now. But he told me that he put that in my been because I loved whatever the previous Daniel Warren Johnson book is and I slips my uh, mind Wonder away. Woman? 
Yeah, Dead it was Earth. Wonder Woman Dead Earth, yeah. which I think is incredible. That's um, pretty cool that he did that. Yeah, yeah, that was dope. I mean, to, and and so little thing too. That's exactly what I think. That that's what makes great comic shops great. Like great comic shops keep customers to me by figuring out what you like and then finding the next thing you're going to like that you had no idea on. You know, now in this in this version of reality. You probably would have told me about Beta Ray Bill being cool anyway, so I did kind of have a safety net there. But I think it's so dope that he just said, yeah, yeah throw it in there. And, and apparently what he also did was he convinced the owner to order a whole bunch of number ones just because he's like, people are going to love this, people are going to love this. And he's like, it sold out like a week and a half after oh, it came right in. On. And he, oh, yeah. really, he really convinced like Glennis to, to order up on it. Rack you know? up on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, going back to that Fortnite book, I heard it was returnable. Like, like the stores could have ordered as many as they wanted and they could have just returned the rest of it so they were smart they would order 200 each or something yeah yeah you know and returnables like old school you know nobody does that shit anymore yeah but you know what what uh interested me is that he then mentioned that um that i was like okay so out of curiosity like what else did daniel warren johnson do extremity uh, Murder Falcon. Murder Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up going in the back issue bin there and getting uh, all the Murder Falcons, but I'm missing one in six. Okay. So, okay. And then I, I can think look I for got extremity. one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I'm going to see if I can pick up. A, I don't think it's too hard to find. So I'm going to see if I can no, find I, it. No, I grabbed Extremity out of the dollar bins of uh, SoCal. I think I got number one at Book Off, actually. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. I got one right. and two at Book Off. Cool. Just randomly. All right, man. So we've managed to catch up on our books. We've managed to finish our entire beers in this conversation. So, yeah, yeah we're going to sign off and maybe have another one. Yep, I'm for sure going to have another beer. It'll be delicious.